0: The Numinous Podcast, with Carmen Spaniola.
1: Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, an online intuition development course for people who want their self-awareness to make a difference in the world. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and this week my guest is Sarah Selecki. She's a Giller Award-nominated author and a friend of mine from years back, and today we're talking about intuition and the writing life. I connected with Sarah via Skype, where she was at home in Toronto, Ontario. So Sarah, I've really enjoyed working through your course, Story as a State of Mind, even Though I'm not a fiction writer, um, I've found it to be a really interesting parallel, uh, this idea of my relationship to writing fiction and my relationship to working with intuition. And in particular, you have an exercise about, or a video about moving past summary and filtering of experience in, in writing. And it really requires a good amount of trust to do that, I think, as a writer. And that feels similar to me. When I'm working with intuition, so I'm wondering if you've always been that trusting as a writer, or did you have techniques that took you through a process to get to that place?
0: Hmm. Um, it's a it's an interesting question because it makes me think about it makes me go back to when I first started writing and think about when I first started writing, like when I was a kid. Really, I've been I've been a writer. I've, I've known that I've wanted to be like a, an author since I was little <laughs> and or wanted to be. I mean, I've, I've always felt that calling. And back in the day, I think it was all intuition for me. I think that like so many things when we're young, we don't have the self-consciousness. We don't get in the way of our intuition as much. And that's what brought me to the page. That's what started me. I always just did whatever I wanted. It was... Uh, getting a little bit older, getting into my teens and early 20s and writing and wanting to be published that, some, that, that suddenly changed it because someone was listening, I was trying to impress somebody, it wasn't just play anymore, it was some sort of idea. Uh, I had some preconceived notion or projection or idea of what it meant to be successful, to get published and all of that stuff. And around the same time that that happened, um, to my, my concept of myself as a writer, it was around the same time that I think it became more and more difficult to access my intuition. And that's when I needed the, the tools, um, to, (laughs) to find the trust that I always used to have Mm -hmm. so readily. Um, I, it's like, I, I, I had to relearn and continue to put myself through (laughs) tricks and, and techniques and practices, uh, an important one of those is, um, catching myself when I'm mediating or summarizing instead of actually being present within an experience of a scene. And that came after, I mean, I studied that. I I practiced that. I studied that. I read a lot about fiction writing technique and, um, and also just studied the, studied what I was reading and found that the the most stel- the things that just the scenes that just captured me and had my heart in my throat and just the my favorite pieces of writing often not always but often did came from a non not a very conceptual place they came from a place where i felt like it became my lived experience when i was reading it Right. So somehow, so as a writer trying to write, I mean, as a reader going, reading, reading books and even discussing them in book clubs and just being, not as someone who's trying to understand the machinery behind how that is done, just as a reader, it's just pure pleasure. That's the books that you love; those are the ones you can't put down because it feels like you're just escaping, you're lo- you're leaving your own world and you're going into the present, this presence of someone else's consciousness. As someone who's writing and reading that there's always that other layer of like watching how it's being done. How is she doing that? Like, how does she make me forget myself? And then that's where I started uh, really studying and really reading and paying attention to, oh, there's a, there's nothing, there's nothing here. There, There are fewer conceptual words here. There are fewer abstractions, fewer generalizations and summary, which is summarization, which is, you know, telling someone what's happening instead of allowing them the experience of it themselves. Um, And that's done through sensory detail. I mean, Mm -hmm. just focusing very simply. I mean, it's done through lots of ways, but a really simple, basic way that I just keep bringing myself back to center when I'm writing is what does it smell like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? Um, I didn't, you know, just to answer your, to, to go back and answer your question, I, yes, I learned it. Um, but I think it's like a matter of unlearning all the stuff that calcified over me that I knew immediately as a child and as as a young writer. That was just that was the more that was the most fun right. to write about what something tasted like and what something smelled like and that was
1: the that's the fun part. Fun to to write and fun to read and yes. so you you studied the craft of how that's done. But I really appreciate how you said you come back to what does it taste like, what does it smell like, and it's so true when you're talking about mediation and writing, when you put it that way, that it's like, I'd way rather hear um, the book was lighter than she thought it was. And the pages were paper, you know, or whatever feathery thin or brittle or whatever, as opposed to she picked the book up off the table, you know, you know, like sort of like that, that, that one step removed. (laughs) And it's, it's so interesting, because even in the intuitive experience, I'm often saying to my students that, you know, Of course, we have the desire to analyze and interpret and assign meaning to an experience. But if you don't go and just at least allow yourself to have the whole experience, then you don't really have all the information. So you need to (laughs) like really go into the state where you can be open to what does it feel like? What does it, you know, taste like? What's my, what are the sensations on my skin? Yeah. So when you're teaching writers to be focused on what can be sensed, uh, what about those who have a hard time articulating what they feel yeah. or sense? Like, should they just not be writers or should they, you know, like, <laughs> how do, how do you work with people who have a hard time getting in touch with the sensual experience? Yeah, well, it's, it's,
0: um there are tricks, there are ways to to trick people. I don't think, yeah, I think that if anyone who comes to my class, I, I, um, or anyone who wants to work with me, I assume they wouldn't put themselves through all of this if they didn't, if they weren't, if they didn't want to be a writer. I mean, if they come all this way, <laughs> it's not an easy thing. Like nobody wants to be, a. I mean, I guess everybody wants to be a writer, but nobody really wants to write. It's too hard. So <laughs> you have to find, you have to find the fun, you have to find the fun in it. And, um, and the way I get people to do, I mean, the, back to trust it is about um being okay with not knowing what an experience means while you're in it and that sounds kind of basic but it's actually really scary to not have any certainty um there there's a great quote that i've been like obsessing over lately that i just read that graham green said um when we are when we are unsure we are alive. And it's so it's so true in writing. I mean that's that's when that's when you feel alive, but the other side of alive is like scared and freaked out. Like you, you, there's no there's no certainty. So what I do um what I try to do what, what what all of my lessons and exercises really are about in foundation before we get into any kind of critical work or even revision um although all of this just have to like a caveat is all of this takes place in revision as well I mean if you're going to write something and revise it you have to make the revision sound alive as well mm-hmm. so it's the same the same rules apply um, I, I trick people into uh, feeling safe about something while the while the uncertainty can just run rampant so um, so they so I give exercise so there are exercises so So there's some safety in having an exercise because, you know, there's a beginning, middle and end, you know, it's finite. Like I have this, I have this one, um, one of my favorite exercises that I throw on people is to write 100 sentences that are completely disconnected. So unconnected. You'll find this in the course. It's later. It's in the more advanced lessons. (laughs) But this is a great example of like having okay, from one to a hundred, that's good, it's finite, I know that is, separate sentences, there are rules, like they can't connect, so they have to be non-secretary, okay, I can do all of that, in between all of those rules, you can can play, you can be, you can, there's free fall in between all of that, because what, of course, what are the sentences going to hold, you don't know, but there's that feeling of security that you, that you can lean on, you're like, okay, I'm going to write this sentence after another sentence, going to write this sentence after another sentence. I'm going to get, I'm at 55 and I have to do 56, going to do 57. So that all, that keeps, that keeps your wandering, um, fear at bay, which lets you focus on things like, um, sensory detail. Mm -hmm. So, so you, while you're, it's just kind of—it's like an anchor. It's like a, its like holding on to the dock instead of just treading water in the middle of the lake. Yeah. You know, you've got a dock there. You're still in the water. You're still in the water, but. Yeah. So that's one thing I do is just trick people in various ways into giving them a task. So they think, okay, there's this, ta- they hang on to the task as though that's the meaning.
1: Right. Well, and it's so, <laughs> just great so there's something. Because the task becomes the practice, right? So you it's, have to break exactly. it down into tiny things. And hey, when you're swimming in the ocean, it doesn't matter how deep it is. You're just, you got to yeah. swim, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, you, you yeah. learn that task and that becomes a practice and the practice becomes how you move Through the world, what you said earlier about, you know, writing is about, or good writing is about being okay with not knowing what an experience means while you're in it, and really, you've just summarized what intuitive development is about as well. (laughs) So, again, with the parallels, (laughs) I love it. Um, (laughs) But are there some parts, though, of the human experience that you find more difficult as a writer because you teach writing, but you're also a, a very renowned Canadian writer. Do you find some parts of being human more difficult to translate into words than others? Because sometimes words can be such blunt instruments for the, the sensations. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: Um, they are really blunt. <laughs> and and they don't actually do the trick. Words don't. I I wouldn't I don't think that I would separate different elements of the human experience um, on a scale of difficulty, but I would say that, um, I would say that words don't have it, that I I have an an ambivalent, like a complicated relationship to language as a writer because I adore it and I, 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 it's what I, you, it's what I love working with every day, like I love, I love them. I love syntax. I love grammar. I love what moving a gerund around in a sentence can do. I love like playing with the passive voice and then taking it out and making it more active. I love all of that, but that's not actually what I care about as a writer. What I what I care about as a writer is the human experience, and and how we're all in it, and the, the things I feel. I, I care about the things I feel, and um, and I think a lot of a lot of writers. I just, I just went to see Laurie Moore actually give a reading. She's, she has a new book of stories out called Bark, and she came to Toronto and gave a reading and um, was, did a little interview afterwards. And she said something just like this. She said, "A lot of people think that writers write because they come, they they love language and they come to language first and they're writing because of language. And the truth is, the writers are writers write because they love emotion, and the emotion comes. The emotion comes first, and then language comes after. So I have this. I have this. I, I mean, I adore language, but but the reason I'm a fiction writer, or the reason I write creatively, is because um, language, this, the, like these blunt words that we have in the English language, anyway, to uh, describe emotion don't cut it like the word the word frightened does not it does not touch the feeling of fear it, it's like it it actually does the opposite it, it it's a marker so that we don't have to feel fear when we see it the the word anger is like a marker. it's a place it's a place marker for for anger but it doesn't match like it doesn't it doesn't it when we read the word anger we do not have to feel Our heartbeat faster, and our face get flushed, and like gritting our teeth, and the way everything around us looks like sharper, the edges are more blade-like, and you know, warm colors stand out more than the cool colors, and you know, the feeling that your clothes don't fit right, and just you know, needing to lie down, needing to stand up, like all of that stuff. That's not the word anger. Doesn't do that the word anger is just bluntly sort of shows us what, oh yeah, yeah, we know what anger is. And then we don't have to, you know, we can be very polite about, about reading anger and be like, oh yes, anger, like the the hypothetical anger, the conceptual anger. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why I'm not, you know, a a journalist. I'm, I, I, I want to, I want to delve more into the feeling. So I have to find ways to work around language so that the feeling that the feeling occurs in my reader and me when they read the words that I write. So if I were to write anger, I would be cheating. I would be taking, I would be taking that experience right, right out of, right out of my reader. Like my reader wouldn't be able to experience anger because I haven't given her the cues, the physical sensory cues. Um, so, so yeah, it's my, my, my love of language is, um, it's like, it's a, it's a tool. It's not ambivalent. It's, it's a deep love. I do love language, but I love what writers get to do with language. And I love reading writers who are such masters at, um, at, at weaving, you know, weaving and carving and twisting and placing and like bricklaying words and sentences so that I have an experience. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that doesn't actually happen the way it's kind of counter into, it's like working counter to what to what the English language wants to do in a way. Like it, it's not, you know, it's not explaining, it's recreating right. an experience.
1: That's so true, right? The recreation of an experience. I, when, well, when clients come to me and I'm sort of prepping them as they're in my, hypnosis chair, and we're going (laughs) to do a regression with them because people think they're going to uh, regress to their childhood or a past life or whatever, and it's going to look like a movie. And what I tell them is Mm. it's not going to look like a movie. It's going to be like when you're reading and your your eyes are seeing the words on the page, but your mind is conjuring this. It's almost like a memory that you haven't had before, right? It's kind of foggy, but it's like, it's not seeing like on the screen, but you can see the image of the, you know, the woman and the flash of white hot heat at her rage and picking up the letter opener or whatever it is, you know, like you can see all that stuff in your head, but it's not like seeing it on a screen. And so I'm always reminding them even through the session to just take a breath and come back to the body. Because if you can be in oh, yeah. the sensations of that experience, then you can enter the consciousness of that experience and your body will remind you about what that must be like, you know? <laughs> so it's really yes. interesting parallel.
0: That's, it's so interesting. I mean, earlier you had, in an earlier question, you asked me what, if, if I have students who have a really hard time articulating an emotion and what what should I do, or how do I help them? And it's interesting you, that description is pretty much how I get people set up to write a scene. I, I sit them down and I say, "You're going to feel it in your body. Connect to your body. Take a breath. Go really slow. Breathe and connect physically to where you are." And I mean the 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 funny. That's what I do as well. Is like when I'm getting too caught up in what I think should happen next, or um, too conceptual or too abstract. I just come back. I just take a deep breath, and I come back to exactly where I am right now. Like maybe there's some clue. I just scan my body for clues. There's some, maybe there's a clue here. Some, some trigger, something that's happening, like a pain in my knee or a, a tremor in my eyelid, or something that's a clue that I can go from.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, and I, and I, it's a joke, but it's actually not really a joke, but it's it kind of funny. But all of my characters in one. In one scene or another, eventually all of them, and some of it does seep out into stuff that gets published, um, stare at the table or feel the table with their finger or, you know, rub it or like see like a little divot in the varnish or, you know, rub a grain of salt into the table because I'm sitting at a table writing, <laughs> trying to get refocused and trying to get recentered, and trying to get back into my character's consciousness and the connection to characters consciousness is your own con- it's your own body and con- and sensual detail so I'm often like just uh, my consciousness is staring at the t- I'm sitting at the table I'm physically at the table so that's where I start I start at the table and I usually go through and try to take those little markers little out but it's just out. my I'm yeah, gonna
1: look for that like a leitmotif through all of your yeah. books now <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh she was stuck here I wonder <laughs> what the first draft is like <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so as a person uh who works in a spiritual um, occupation, I find that I move through the world Um, kind of in symbol, like I'm always interpreting events as representations of something else. And sometimes I feel like I'm a character in a book, like everything around me is like a reflection of my inner state, or, you know, I can't see an eagle without feeling like it's a, you know, a divine messenger trying to inspire me to carry on or something like that. (laughs) So I'm curious how you as a writer move through life and what your relationship to metaphor is like
0: um i think in metaphor i understand the world like i always am explaining myself in metaphor often in mixed metaphors in one sentence it's it's awful but it's how i uh and especially when i'm when i'm writing and and teaching a lot when i'm in a, st- a good teaching stint or a writing stint i'm i'm even worse i'm, I'm everything is um everything i understand i understand my world through not so much the literal metaphors. I mean, when something happens in my life and I and it and it seems like symbolic, I I see. it, I, I have been known to cry out. But what does it mean? <laughs> um, but even even more than that, from the other side, I make I conjure up metaphors in 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 order to make myself understood, just in day to day life, like um, or to under or just, yeah, just to like show how i to tell people how i'm feeling um and you know a recent one yesterday i was just describing like how i without getting into too many details just how i'm feeling about um some professional decisions and some financial decisions and decisions about uh, moving it like big life choices. We're, we're there's like some transition in our life right now. We're making some choices about where to live and how to work and some big stuff. And I was describing the, how I felt as though over the years, in like over the past ten years, many decisions that I made, I feel like I was like in the car on the road oh, well, we got to turn left or we got to turn right. But I didn't, you know, have the the whole trip to plant, didn't have the whole, like, Google Maps (laughs) at the start of the the road trip, like, with the little blue line plotted out with all the directions and knowing how long it was going to take and when I was going to get from point A to point B. It was more like just being in the car and being like, oh, God, okay, stop here. Oh, okay, let's make a U-turn and turn left. Just because I'm in the car and because, you know, the motor's running and I'm on a highway and I can't get off. (laughs) (laughs) That's like, that was yesterday, but any day goes by and I, I, i it helps. It helps me. I also, I just, it feels more real somehow, some, in some, some way it makes my experience feel more real. It may, it feels more real than, um, saying, I'm confused about, you know, uh, then conceptualizing it, like, I'm confused about the life decisions I've been making. And I feel like I, I mean,
1: putting it into some
0: abstraction doesn't feel as real to me. It doesn't feel like um it's just not how I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, I totally get it. And this idea of metaphor, using metaphor to make your experience more real is so great because of course (laughs) the experience is going to be mediated through words, those damn blunt things. And so it it. needs to come through a different way. And I know I shared this with you, but uh, just for our listeners, we also in our house went through a lot of life transition and we felt quite displaced and we were feeling so insecure and vulnerable and um, we look back now and kind of joke that we were in a, like a situational depression where we just, we (laughs) couldn't move anywhere. And, and much like your situation, it's like, it's not really a joke because that really, I think what it was, was. and I was saying to my husband that, well, now we know that next time life is presenting us with one of those situations where we really can't make any choices things are happening to us and it's going to take a while for you know um, a way to be opened for us I said I think next time what we should do is just go at it head on and just like take our sleeping bags and go out camping kind of late in the afternoon not very well prepared and just go sleep out in the open, exposed in the wilderness. So we can sort of say like, I feel this vulnerable (laughs) and scared and insecure. And I'm just going to wait here until the dawn breaks, just as a way for us to kind of move towards life and say, you know, I hear you and ritualize our experience somehow so that it Uh feels more like a dialogue rather than like stuff happening to us and to make our experience more real. Maybe that's taking metaphor to a extreme degree though <laughs> actually I'm thinking about it because I, I remember we, we spoke about that um, uh,
0: before and I'm thinking about it totally differently now and and maybe because my my metaphor of the day is different at the at the time it was I was feeling like a truck in the mud in these in these ruts in the road I was telling you and I was going back and forth and but like I was trying to Drive forward and then I'd get stuck and just get deeper in the mud. And then, okay, reverse and then get deeper in the mud. So, um, and so when you shared that story, I was like, God, I was thinking, what would, how could I, would I want to get a truck and put it in the mud? (laughs) But, but now I'm actually thinking that throwing myself, I don't know, it might be, I see the, I see the wisdom in it. I see this, there's something really powerful in just like making your, making the abstract. Actually material, like making the image material and, uh, and seeing what – like just being like, okay, this is how I feel. No, I really feel vulnerable. I feel – I'm going to go feel vulnerable and like feel it.
1: Yeah. Like really feel it. Yeah. Well, and this idea of ritual, you know, the, the sort of pithy statement I share with my students is that spirit works in paradox and it speaks in metaphor and we respond through ritual. So ritual is like holding up our end of the conversation with the universe, which is speaking to me all the time through metaphor. Right. So um, I'm curious about any rituals that you might come back to when you're preparing to write, or, you know, you talked about you're stuck in your work. And so you like go down and look at the table. (laughs) So what about when you're just getting into the frame of mind when you're maybe receiving that Mm. kind of inspired download, like, okay, I think a novel's coming, you know, is there anything you do to mark that?
0: I do lots. And in various periods of my life, I've been more and less um, (laughs) uh, given to creating these rituals. Sometimes they've been quite elaborate right now. um, I'm actually, I'm, I've pared down my, my list of obsessive things I need to do. Cause it's like, it's a fine line for me. I get like, no, these <laughs> pencils, like, it's not even a joke. It has to be these pencils and it has to be this quality of light. And it has to be this chair. Um, but what I'm doing now are the basics. And, and for me, that is the same time of day every day. Mm. So, uh, uh, whether I, it's kind of like, I've, I heard that the best time of day to work out, like I was reading some, listening to Jillian Michaels podcast or something. And there was a question, what was the best time of day to work out? And the answer is quite scientifically is that it's the same, whatever time it is, that it's the same time for you every day mm-hmm. because your body knows you like the muscles know your body prepares, your brain prepares and like gears up and psychs itself up to like do it at that time. Mm-hmm. So if you create the habit and the ritual um, with with any creative work, I think it's it's similar. So the day, the structure of the morning, holds me even when I don't feel like doing it. I feel like my my structure holds me even when I'm not strong enough to uh, forge it myself. So morning, that's one. Um, I uh, I'm pretty strict. I'm very strict actually about not having. Uh, the internet on, having Wi-Fi, not not connecting, not, not connecting to my mail program, and not having any of that on while I'm writing. So it's a digital free space, and um, I have I have these sound canceling headphones. It's another big part of it. So it's just getting really quiet and really serious. And then in terms of the practice itself, I start with a warm up that has has never let me down in terms of <laughs> giving me the whole gamut of the writing experience in five minutes which is simply I I sit down and I get out my notebook and I write by hand a list of words that start with a single letter and I recommend this to anybody by the way who who wants to write and wants to like get past the voices in their head that make it hard for them to write because you'll see (laughs) when writing a list in five minutes a list of all the words you can think of that start with a single letter um, all the different ways your mind works around this task that you've put yourself in. And sometimes, I mean, I, I use the word, the letter L often, actually. I keep going back to L because it's, ni- it's a nice one when I'm feeling, there's, there's a lot of, there are a lot of words that I can think of that start with L. It's not as difficult as, as J or O or other, <laughs> or other letters. So sometimes, I've been going with L lately. And, you know, I have laughter. And then I think, as I'm writing it, I'm like, what's with the G H in that Like why is it spelled that way? And then I'll get like luxury and Lexington and these X these L X words and I'm like, ah, oh, those are awesome what beautiful word. Like I love them. So there's all this pot there's all this like joy. And then there's these words are too short. Like these there's not enough there aren't enough syllables in these words. This is dumb. I'm not smart enough. Or um why would I put that word next to that word? Why would, why would that come up after that? Like, that's, that's curious. What does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Or coming up with a blank and not having any words at all that come up and just feel like there's nothing there. And oh my God, I have to sit here until five minutes are up and there's nothing, which I mean, happens all the time. And, um, Oh, God, any number of, like, the whole, yeah, it's like the whole roller coaster in five minutes, the joy, the ecstasy, the curiosity, the interest, the, like, berating myself for not having smart enough words or spelling them incorrectly or, um, I don't know, all the criticisms come up. And then it's over. And I can see that after five minutes of doing something so simple, like, there's no... It doesn't even have to make sense. It's just a list. There are no other words other than, I mean, there are no other rules other than get the words down. It's just a list of words. It doesn't, no one's going to see it. It doesn't have to make any sense. There's no story. There's no narrative. There's no character. There's nothing. There's not even capitals (laughs) uh, or punctuation. And and I can see all of my mind at once. Like, I just get this cross-section. I can just see all the, all the thoughts just shooting across my mind, making this, uh, difficult and joyful and all the rest of it. And then I can be like, okay, so when those things come up, I know that those are just thoughts Mm -hmm. and that's not actually the thing, the work at hand, which is the pleasure of connecting to something that's, uh, other than me because the magic also in that, in that exercise that, that, that gets me ready to get me, gets me poised to write is the pure and simple magic of there being nothing. And then I put a word down and there's something like something out of nothing. Like where did those, where did the words come from? They're in my head. Why do they come? Like where, what is that? It's, um, it's in a really small way. That's, that's what I love. That's, that's it. That's the seed of it. That's what I love about writing is that there's nothing. And then there's something, yeah. and I don't even exactly know how it got there. I know that I played a role in it. I know that it couldn't happen without me. couldn't happen if I wasn't writing the words down, um, and they're my words. <laughs> like, they came out of my head. It's nothing – I'm not, like, writing in tongues or anything. It's not – like, they're my words, but there's also an element of consciousness that's freer and more open so that it's um, – unfamiliar at the same time as being deeply familiar it's like this knowing unknowingness and I'm just talking about a list of words so this is like just my (laughs) warm-up I I understand that this but it is I find it I find it a profound exercise every time I do it and it just gets me involved in the act of creating something with language um, and uncertainty at the same time
1: Right, you start actually, uh, the, or that exercise in stories, a state of mind, is with. Oh, that's o, right. And um, yeah, I I resisted writing the words on and then mm-hmm. onward and like because I was like that's yeah. cheating that's just but like why, too simple right, right? and then yeah. I had this whole thing about like you know that's really pointing to my resistance uh towards ease in my life and things like this like it's just yeah. like oh, you're, you're so right like the whole gamut comes up um yeah and I've I've heard you say before that you know like, I love when you're talking about how it couldn't exist without you, but where did it come from? And so you're co-creating with this thing that you don't really understand. And again, that's like, that's just, that's totally my work, right? That's what I'm always encouraging people to do. (laughs) And so, yeah, so many of the exercises in Stories of State of Mind are so similar and just were, um, I felt very affirmed because they're very similar in some ways to a lot of what I have going on in the numinous school. And so I felt like, wow, okay, so there's really something to this that is a way of living, you know, both as a writer or as an intuitive worker, whatever it is. I mean, this idea of being in relationship to these unseen forces is a way of moving through the world that I think is very rich. Yeah,
0: I do too. I mean, without it, when I feel disconnected from my writing, I feel uh, very gray. The world is very gray. Like I, I feel um i miss it if i'm not in that if i'm if we're disconnected like i really miss i miss it i miss the connection
1: yeah for sure so i want to end our conversation today with a question from the proust questionnaire okay <laughs> what do you consider perfect happiness
0: perfect happiness Is lying out in the sun under a tree with a red cardinal singing in a branch above me.
1: Wow, that's a Toronto or an Ontario thing. I think we don't have any red cardinals here, so it's already that sounds exotic and magical. I'm so sorry you don't have cardinals. I know. We have a lot of robins, but uh, cardinal. That, that And so do you get cardinals in the winter, or do they all go south?
0: Um, no, we have a few little domestic cardinals here, but they don't sing their pretty little mating song okay. in the winter. They're quite silent. But you know what? You've got cherry blossoms.
1: Oh, I know. So it's I'm snowing outside say... right now, and the gutters are, like, what? full, but it's snowing cherry blossoms. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to rub it in. <laughs> um no I love that the idea of a uh, of a cardinal just like blazing just brazenly red against the whites Ontario snow but I guess in spring you get the beautiful song thank you so much for being on my show Sarah I really really appreciate it I love our conversations and I can't wait till you're out west again and we can uh, lay outside and listen to the robins out here Me too. Thank you, Carmen. Two things I'm going to take away from that conversation with Sarah Selecki that are so pertinent to the spiritual life. Uh, One is about being okay with not knowing what an experience means while you're in it. So useful, so true. And uh, the other really useful piece Uh, in terms of applying this to our spiritual lives, is the idea of creating a structure that can hold you to your work when you can't forge the motivation for yourself. So having different rituals, different places where you go to do your work, etc. That seemed really useful. Today's show notes can be found on my blog at www.carmenspanola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A And that's where you'll find links to learn more about Sarah Selecki and her books. Giller-nominated book, This Cake is for the Party, is a collection of short stories that are really beautifully written, as you can imagine, after hearing her. I want to thank Sarah again for being on the show, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd so appreciate your review on iTunes. And please share it far and wide so it can reach more seekers like you. You never know who needs to hear it. If you'd like to keep exploring the great mystery of life with me, you can go to my website, CarmenSpaniola.com, and click the link for The Numinous School, my online intuition development course. While you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter. You'll instantly receive a meditation download and you'll get something free from me every month. Until next time, take care.